Is your website pretty? Mind your business. Does it work right? Mind your business. Can people find it? Mind your business. Roadhouse. If you answered no or kinda to any of these questions, you came to the right podcast. Because we're going to help you mind your business. Here's your host, the lexical cognizant and SEO director guy of mind development and design, Mark Boyd. Welcome to the Mind Your Business Podcast, presented by the Minds at Mind Development and Design. We appreciate you listening, however you're listening to us, whatever you're doing while you're listening to us. You could be out hiking. Heck, you could be out uh, rock climbing, like our guest today, Eric Hurst. We're proud to have him on. Eric, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Author, performance coach, rock climber, and in my opinion, the only meteorologist you really need... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I appreciate you coming on today, Eric. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Mark. To get started, what I wanted to talk about on this podcast, I wanted to talk about the the weather page that you do for Millersville right. University. And for, for those of you listening that aren't familiar with it, um, it's a, a wonderful page because uh, my wife and I actually joke about how that's all we really need because whether it's going to snow, rain, whatever's coming up on us, we feel like we get the accurate report from from um, you know from your site. So, right. in addition to that, though, I've noticed that you know you update the page itself a couple of times a week, but you use Twitter for your like up to the minute updates, which I absolutely love. When did you start the Millersville weather page, or I guess better, when did that start? Did you start it? when did you take over it? Yeah, well, I, I am uh, the director of the Weather Information Center here at Millersville okay. University and uh, been here 30 years now. And um, we have had a uh, an internet presence since the very early days, back in the uh, middle 1990s before most nice. folks were, yeah, before most folks were on the internet, we were on there issuing some basic forecast information, and uh, and then that grew over the years. The website, as you as you see it now, uh, dates back ten or fifteen years, and uh, and so you know, as a university weather center, of course, we have students here training to become meteorologists. They participate and, and generate some of the products, some of the forecasts that go onto the website. Of course, the real heavy lifting when there's big or impactful weather events on the way. That's my call as the as the expert, as the veteran forecaster. And uh, and so that th- those you know types of snowstorms, severe weather, hurricane, you know, flooding type forecasts I generate and kind of take point on. Whereas the day-to-day basic forecasting, the students do a real good job on that. And so and actually we update the forecast three times a day during the the semester, during the school year. Mm-hmm. And then I, I supplement with some special weather discussions uh, myself a couple of days a week as you alluded to uh, that give uh, more a sense of the uncertainty and some of the things i'm watching and how the pattern is changing and try to give some information beyond just the the short-term forecast and also give decision makers people who are really affected by the weather some quality information that's free of the hype uh that really you know we kind of call it as we see it we don't have any interest in generating ratings or uh, <laughs> clicks like uh, you know TV or the internet uh, weather sites often you know they're just trying to get viewers or get clicks and therefore that leads them down a path of hyping and that of course um, you end up crying wolf a lot and you give out a lot of bad information because 
you know, not all storms need to be hyped. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so if people visit the Millersville site, as you and your wife do, they get uh, the straight forecast and nothing but the forecast. I found it fascinating over the last few years that not only are hurricanes named, but now we have to have names for every winter storm that starts over uh, over in the Pacific or over in, in Washington State and works its way across. Yeah, and I'll tell you, that's a source of controversy because, of course, naming hurricanes has been around for, for decades. Uh, and uh, hurricanes are rare events. There's only a handful each year. And because they are slow-moving and impactful, it made sense for the Hurricane Center to name uh, the rare storm that that comes our way, so it gives you something to to talk and be very specific about. But the naming of winter storms, just the Weather Channel does that, um, and they've actually been shunned by a lot of people in our profession, including the National Weather Service and many private forecasters like myself, because it is, uh, you know, there's dozens of winter storms a year, and the names become kind of meaningless. Uh, it is uh, simply a PR tool for the Weather Channel. And therefore, you generally don't hear other meteorologists like myself or, say, Joe Calhoun at Channel 8 mm -hmm. or even the National Weather Service. We don't use the, the names that the, the Weather Channel uses for the winter So that was, that was all the Weather Channel? All the Weather Channel, yeah. I did not realize that. Did not realize that at all. And I appreciate you bringing that up because it feels like every time I even... I don't even go on the Weather Channel anymore but or like weather.com, but... I got tired of going there, and every time I saw it, it's like winter storm such and such, millions at risk. And then if there's another storm that comes through, it's like millions at risk. It sounds like we're all going to die. Right. Well, here's what's happened in recent years is, you know, weather is the ultimate reality TV. You know, reality TV, as you know it, uh, in primetime programming like Survivor, is sure. all scripted. It's not really real. But weather is as real as it gets, and that's why... Uh, the websites like AccuWeather or the you know cable channel like uh, the Weather Channel, they come up with this programming and they highlight the storms and the impacts. And the United States is a big country, so on any given day there's something going on somewhere, mm -hmm. and it gives them something to talk about. And for people that uh, you know are interested in weather, hobbyists, uh, amateur, you know armchair forecasters, uh, I guess they really dig it and they tune in for it. But you know a lot of people. Uh, just want to know how the weather is going to affect them. You know, I I talk daily to people who are decision makers, whether uh, they're business people, uh, they're uh, uh, high school administrators, they're sports coaches, PennDOT. You know, I talk to those folks regularly, uh, and all they care about is they want to make the best decision they can on you know what you know their their job of the day or their you know what they're working toward uh, in the week ahead based on the weather. And so they want an accurate forecast free of the hype, free of the narrative, uh, and just get to the point. And that's what that's what you're a specialist at and what I've kind of made my name on is, uh, you know, uh, uh, steering clear of, uh, of all the other stuff. When uh, Before I push the record button, yeah, it was, I was uh, kind of giving you some background on how I've followed your page. You've got over 5,000 followers on Twitter, and you make use—you make really nice use of that for uh, for updates. That's another thing that attracted me to asking you to be on the podcast here. When did you decide to incorporate social media for your updates, and what made you decide on social media for those updates? Because I'm looking at 
The first question I had was, why didn't he just update the page every day? But yet then the social media updates made sense because you laid out basic, you lay out basic predictions. You update twice a week, but the Twitter, I, I love how you use that because anything that changes along the way, you're able to do quick updates. When did you decide to do that and what made you decide, hey, this is the way we should go? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think I've had my Twitter account for six or seven years, but I didn't use it a lot early on because, uh, you know, six, seven years ago, um, most people were still getting weather information, whether it was from us or from other sites, through uh, a computer, through a laptop or a desktop on, on a large screen. So, uh, it, it, you know, it, in, in past years, uh, it made sense just to kind of focus the delivery of our uh, forecasts through the website mm -hmm. uh, because people are sitting at desks viewing it. But in recent years, uh, and I think just in the past year or two, uh, there's data showing that more people are getting their weather information uh, in a, on a handheld device, you know, their iPhone, their Android, uh, whatnot. And uh, so when things go to the handheld device, it gets tougher to read long forecasts, uh, discussions, mm -hmm. uh, and such and these little bite-sized um you know twitter type uh delivery of of weather information um is just you know more effective i think and it's easier to view you know so uh and you have a very targeted audience if you're one of the 5,897 people <laughs> as of today following me on twitter um you know if i send out a tweet i know that's going to be delivered to those folks that really are interested in that information so we do update you know our daily forecast the students as i said update on our website three times a day my long-range special weather discussion is updated twice a week sometimes thrice uh, if there's uh, interesting weather going on but in terms of that rapid fire uh, bits of information as a as a storm's developing or as uh, you know, something is changing rapidly in the weather. Twitter is is really you know a, a great way to 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 do it, and um, I can be anywhere. You know, I kind of watch the weather nearly twenty four seven, so I can be. It sounds like it is a passion for you. Yeah, I can be at home. I can That's be in awesome. bed. I can be on vacation. I literally last summer I was on vacation in Wyoming, but I'm still following the weather here in Pennsylvania. And I was firing out tweets, you know, a, a, just a few a day, just to stay connected and to keep um, the followers uh, posted. So that's the beauty. I don't need to be sitting in front of a computer to do that. I guess one, one, uh, one quick question in closing. You said you've been doing this for 30 years? Yeah, that's right. I, I studied meteorology at Penn State back in the early uh, 1980s, graduated in 1986. I dabbled in television for a few years in the late 1980s. I was actually a weekend weatherman on Channel 8 for a couple of years. And then uh, as Millersville's meteorology program ramped up in the late 80s into the 90s, I got involved here. And I've, I've been uh, uh, officially my 30th anniversary uh, comes this uh, this coming winter. So I'm in my 30th year right now. Well, um, both, my, both my sister and my father... Uh, were teachers for many, many years, so I have great admiration for what you're doing. Over the 30 years that you've been doing this, what's kept, what keeps you the most jazzed about all this weather stuff? And I know all this weather stuff sounds kind of ridiculous, but I mean, there's so much in it, you know, so much more than us lay people do. What, what would you say keeps you the most jazzed about it? 
Yeah, well, there's a couple angles to it. You know, my job here, uh, I wear a few different hats at Millersville. I teach some meteorology lab classes. Uh, I mentor student forecasters. And of course, I'm the point, I'm the lead forecaster here uh, of the Weather Center, dealing with the media and the public. And so just the variety of the work I do, uh, it makes it interesting, makes it uh, gratifying. But ultimately, you know, when it comes to being a weather forecaster, um, it's, uh, you know, every day is a different puzzle to solve. And uh, yeah, sure, you can get into boring weather patterns sometimes where there's nothing, you know, high pressures in control. Uh, but, uh, you know, we live in the mid-latitudes and Pennsylvania is a particularly uh, difficult state uh, where the weather can be highly variable. And, uh, and, and, and I'll tell you, Mark, uh, you know, perfection is really not attainable. Uh, in this profession. I wouldn't think it um, would be. There's it, so many variables. Like, yeah, it's kind of like being a, an NFL quarterback. You know, you can have good games and bad games and, you know, 90% completion rate one week, but you can bust, you know, a forecast the next. Uh, Mother Nature has the final word and throws you curveballs sometimes. And so for a competitive person like myself, uh, you know, I, kind of the quest is perfection, but of course that's not attainable and uh and so that that keeps you coming back for more you know and uh keeps me passionate after all these years well i i have to admit i lied there there was i, I said that was a question in closing i actually had another one that came to mind that uh that has been bugging me for many years el nino is that for real sure yeah so that's I'll, not a, that's not another you know weather weather channel creation for hype or anything like that it actually is real no yeah el nino is the uh uh, periodic warming of the equatorial Pacific Ocean. Okay. It, it is, uh, it's the warm phase of a natural cycle. The key there is it's a natural cycle. El Nino is the warm phase. La Nina is the cool phase. Um, the, the, the warm and cool water in the Pacific shifts uh, every few years based on pressure patterns. And it's been going on uh, for as long as the Pacific Ocean has been there, as best as we can tell. In fact, it was named not by meteorologists, not by somebody at the Weather Channel. It was named by fishermen along the west coast of South America who a century or more ago saw that around the time of Christmas uh, that the fish they caught – uh, would vary season to season, and they discovered that that variance in the fish they caught was tied to differences in the water. You know, one December, wow. one December the water would be a little warmer, and they would catch, you know, one type, and then a couple years later the water would be a few degrees cooler, and they would discover something else. And so, uh, and this cycle varies every three to five years. It goes through kind of a back and forth cycle. And so because it tends to peak uh, and be most noticeable around Christmas, they named it El Nino, which means Christ child. And, uh, and so that's how it was given its name. And of course, decades later, meteorologists learned to study it and track it and to some degree forecast it. And the El Nino, La Nina cycle in the Pacific does have an influence on our weather patterns here across North America. In fact, this past winter was somewhat affected by that natural cycle. So, um, yeah, that's a whole other subject to be explored the <laughs> time. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's um, the real thing, not a uh, media creation. 
I am so glad I asked you that question. Thank you very, very much. And thank you for your time on the podcast here, Eric. Happy to join you, Mark. From the minds at Mind Development and Design, thank you for joining us today. Until next week, make sure you mind your business. Ow! Roadhouse.